Good morning. It is fun to have the kids in with us. We always love when uh, the kids can come and join us here at Big Church. When, um, when kids, when normally when you're off there doing your, uh, your kids' church thing, we're in here. And when you're learning about God, we're in here learning about God. And uh, you guys, uh, for, since you've been out there, we've been, we've been talking about work in Big Church. And we know that work is hard sometimes. Sometimes work is really, really hard. But it also can be a really, really good thing. And that's what we've been talking about. Let me show you one of the reasons why work is really, really important. Anyone recognize this logo? Anyone recognize this? Kids, you recognize it too? Anyone? Some of the grown-ups, we recognize this logo, right? You recognize this? What is it a logo for? It's for a logo for? Dairy Queen. Now imagine if there were no workers. If there were no workers to bring us hot eats and cool treats. Right? It's important, it's important for us to have people do work. It's one of the ways God cares for us on hot July days. Imagine if there were no workers to serve. Imagine if there were no builders to build the buildings. You know, there would be our, our Dairy Queen. Imagine if there were no graphic designers to make menus. Think about this. Think how messy it would get if there was nobody that made cups or straws, or spoons, or napkins. Dairy Queen would get really messy, wouldn't it? It would get really, really messy. Imagine what would happen to all the ice cream, those ice cream cakes. If people stopped making electricity, what would happen to our ice cream cakes? They'd melt, absolutely. Think about uh, if farmers stopped milking cows. I don't know if they have, do they have real milk in Dairy Queen ice cream? I guess I don't know that, but let's just assume that they do. Um, imagine if they stopped milking cows and... And, and, making, and, and growing bananas, where would the banana splits be? And if there weren't any police officers, someone could just break in and steal all the hot fudge. And that would be bad, wouldn't it? It would be tragic. God uses workers. He uses workers to care for his creation. That's how he designed our world. And God's work through people doesn't just end with Dairy Queen. God works through counselors. God works through financial planners to help people. God cares through us through people who build safe cars and create nice homes. God cares for our needs through inventors and teachers and musicians and even pastors and those people that sell uh, sweet corn on the corner. God cares for us through them. God calls us to feed the hungry. One of the things we try to remember as our, with, a, with our family when we pray at night together, we try to remember, all right, we don't just pray for the hungry. We say, God, how would you use us to help, you know, with that? But God calls us. He calls us to feed the hungry and to heal the sick and to clothe the poor. And most importantly, to share the good news. We talked about that last week. God works through workers. It's not the only way he works, but it's one of the primary ways that God works. He works through our work. Now, I've been trying really hard uh, to make time to read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, read passages each, each week. I try to read from both of those sections. And it's interesting to see how work is there in every book of the Bible. The Bible stresses the importance of work, you, you, no matter where you go. So here's I, my New Testament readings happen to be in First and Second Thessalonians. And they talk about work. So here's a fairly random uh, look at the Bible as far as just passages that I've been reading that have been jumping out to me when, when it comes to work from where I've been reading in First Thessalonians. It says this in First Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Live quietly, mind your own affairs, and do what? Work. Work. 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We're supposed to work. And then here, also from that same letter, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers. Now they're talking to the Christians, brothers and sisters. We urge you, admonish the idle. Those who aren't working, give them a little hay. Let's get to work, people. And then Paul doubles down in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He goes beyond saying, just admonish them. He says this, We urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. Is work a good and God-honoring thing? Yeah, it is. God works through workers. But where we're going to go today is that work can also become what the Bible calls an idol. Work can also be an idol. I'd encourage you to take a moment to write this in your notes inside your uh, bulletins. Each week we have a sheet where you can take notes down. I'd encourage you to write this down. Work can become an idol. Now, what is an idol? An idol is a thing that receives more of our attention and devotion than it should. And how do we know if we're devoting too much time and attention to work? Well, it'd be easy if we had an idol detector, right? Wouldn't that just be easy? We could just point to it. Well, I, I have a little detector. Can I get a volunteer, a kid volunteer here? Can one of you guys come and help me out? Uh, come on. Someone bail me out? Right? Oh, come on up. Come on up. Thank you. Come on up. Let's have a big hand for our volunteer. Thank you so much. Do you want to say your name into the uh, microphone? Whoop, try again. Here we fire up the mic there. Oh, oh, you know what? He's just turning on the on button here. Sometimes we have to make sure we're... Luke. There. Everybody heard it? Luke. All right. Thanks, Luke. Well, it might be hard to see back there, but what we have here is our little idle detector, all right? And you want to hold the idle detector? Thank you. And we have three boxes, and I've hidden an idle in one of these boxes. Now, if you point this little wand to the boxes, I bet it's going to light up when you get to the idle. It's not in that box. Try another box. Oh, did you feel something buzz? Yeah, you know what? That worked. Let's see. Did the... Let's try this. Oh, there it lit up like that. And it buzzed. Good. Well, you know what? Let's give Luke a hand. He found the idol. Do you want to take a prize for helping us out? And the rest of the kids, after the service, if you want to come up and give this a try, you can do that when we're all done. All right? You can try it, and you can get a prize for helping us out with that. All right. Now, imagine if we had this idol detector, right? And we could just kind of go, oh, you're working too much. You're working too much. Oh, you're not working enough. You know what? <laughs> Wouldn't it make it a lot easier, right? No, you are. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we could just do that? Well, we, we don't have an idol detector um, that comes in the form of a wand, but let me give you a fairly accurate one. And there's a place to write this in your notes too. Your calendar. Your calendar is a fairly accurate idol detector. You know, what, what are you devoting most of your time to? And, and let me build on that a bit right quick here because I'm going to put up the next slide. Work's going to take a lot of your time because God works through workers but how do you know if work's becoming an idol? Take a look at your calendar and, and take a look at this. Do faith and family get your leftovers? If you look at your calendar and, and, and you, you, you take a look and you realize, all right, I'm working the family in when I can. I'm attending to my faith when I can. If work is consuming so much of your time and your energy and your devotion and your attention that, that, that your family that your faith is getting your leftovers, 
then I would say work is becoming an idol. Again, here's what I mean by that. Your most important job that you have, our, our most important job is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. The Bible spells that one out for us as believers. That's, that's our most important vocation, to work on becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Another job that's up there near the top of the list is to serve and love and care for our families. If you're a mom or a dad, to take that vocation very, very seriously. If you have a mom or dad, to take that vocation as a child and honor them very, very seriously. If you're a grandparent or an uncle or an auntie or a brother or a sister, to take that God-given calling, because you didn't, you know, that's, that's one that God's got for you, to take that very, very seriously. If you're working so hard on other things that faith and family get your leftovers, then I would, I would offer that you're devoting too much time to other forms of work. I mentioned that I'm trying to read from the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, each week, and, and I'm in the prophets right now in, in the Old Testament. And it's interesting to watch these prophets. Sometimes they do crazy things to prove a point. Sometimes they, they do all these things. So imagine if I took a play from the prophetic playbook and I picked up my Bible here and, and I just read something and then just ripped out that page and said, who's got time for that? Imagine if I did that. Imagine if I, I picked the book up and I read something about faith. And I, and I read something about one of the priorities maybe that Jesus had about getting away or prayer or studying the scriptures. What if I read something about faith and then I just ripped it out? I ripped that page out. So who's got time for that? Would that make any of you uncomfortable? I thought about doing that for dramatic effect, but I thought, you know, <laughs> let's not, let's not, no, let's not do that. But imagine if I did, and imagine if it did the same thing with family. What if I turned to Deuteronomy 11, which has got some strong things for parents about kids and about pouring into them? And what if I just read that and then ripped it out, threw that page away, and said, who's got time to do that? Or Ephesians 5 talks about marriage. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Lay, lay down your life for them. Ah, who's got time for that? Wives, honor your husbands. As the, as the church is to honor Christ, what, who's got time for that? What if we rip that out? You know, one of the reasons why the thought did actually cross my mind of doing that, that, that um, object lesson there was to make that point of, ultimately, it's a, this, is, this is pages in a book. This is ink on, on, on paper. How much more important is it for us to take the word of God, the living word of God, and put it into practice rather than ignore it? Today's couples, listen to this. Today's couples work an average of 1,000 hours more each year than they did when I was a kid. If you're a couple, together, you work an average of 1,000 hours more a year than you did when I was a kid. No wonder we're tired. No wonder we get home and where is the remote? Because I got nothing left, Right? We're working an average, what does that work out to be? What, 20 hours a week more? 
And I, and I know most of you. you know, it's so great to see some unfamiliar faces too, but I know most of you. And I, and I know you don't set out to ignore the Bible's teachings. None of us do, right? We don't set out to just say, I'm going to rip this page out because I don't have time for this. We don't set out to ignore it. Either we haven't heard it yet or whatever. We don't set out to ignore it. That's not one of our goals. What happens is we just become so busy often that we're not attentive to those things. And God understands. He understands our situations better than we do. And he offers us this invitation. There's a place to write this down too. Here's an invitation. God wants to save you from regret in this life and the next. He wants to help you play the movie forward and to see here's how it'll end if you continue tracking down this way. If you continue to throw yourself fully at one form of work, the kind you get paid for, or the kind that impresses others, or the kind that makes everything look really nice and together, if you pour all yourself into that and you neglect your family, you neglect your faith, you don't want to end up where that path will take you. You don't want to end up at the end of that road. This is an invitation. God wants to save you from that regret. What good is it to gain the whole world if you drift further apart as a family? And what good is it to gain the whole world? The Bible's explicit on this one. If you gain the whole world, and lose your soul. You don't want to throw yourself fully into these other forms of work and neglect these. God wants to save us from that. Let's, let's take a look back to Thessalonians. All right, we're going to stay in Thessalonians here. Um, this is in Thessalonians chapter 1, right up here in the beginning, verses 9 through 10. Here's a summary of, of what that says. This is this invitation that God has for us. It says this, You turned... And, this, and he's saying, this is a good thing. The author, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, this is a good thing. Here's what you did. You turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Who does what? He rescues us. This isn't just a hand slap. This isn't a, hey, be a good boy, be a good girl. This is an invitation. He wants to rescue us. He wants us to be able to get to the end of our lives and go, okay, it was a crazy ride, but as much as it depended on me, I, I tried to live it well. And I've got people who love me, and I've got no fear of death. You know, to get to the end of our life and have things be good. This turning from, this turning to, it's called repentance. It's a word that has almost dropped from the English vocabulary, in, including in churches. This idea of repentance. Repentance, it means you, you were going one way, you turn, and you go a different way. You turn from, and you turn to. You, it, it's as if, you know, when it comes to idols, God says, hey, don't go down that path any further. What you want is over here. It's over here. Come on. It's over here. That's what repentance is. Consider your faith. Again, this is our primary vocation, our primary calling. Our most important work, tending to our faith. And you could use that word faith to describe all the rest. You know, that's part of living out your faith is in your family. It's in your vo other vocations. But, but just think about faith. It's our primary vocation. It's our primary calling. It's our most important work. The greatest of all the commandments that God has given us is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Nobody can do that work for you. That's why this one is so important. Nobody can do that for you. If you're getting paid to do something else... Chances are they can replace you. They can replace me. They can replace us in those vocations. No one else can tend to your inner world. Only you can do that. We can try to remind. We can encourage. No one else can do that for you. No one else can contend, can attend to that inner world. 
No one else can ensure if you want to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus that, that, that you will. When you tend to your inner world, here's what you're saying yes to. You're not just saying no to all the other things you could do. Here's what you're saying yes to. You're saying, and this is a very partial list. You're learning to say, you're saying yes to learning how to be led by the Spirit of God. You're, le- you're saying yes to having more power in your prayers. You're saying yes to learning the secret to be content in all circumstances. You're saying yes to losing your fear of death. You're saying yes to discovering your life's purpose. And you're, lo- you're, you're learning to say yes to, to living a life where you get to the end of it and you, and you stand or kneel before your creator and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you're saying yes to. The things that matter most. No one can do that work for you. No one can tend, can tend to your inner world. There's a great book, we put it in your notes, I want to encourage you to consider. It's called Sacred Pathways. I've heard so many good things about it. I usually don't endorse books that I haven't read, but this one's on my list. I've heard so many good things about it. And what it does is it talks about there's going to be certain things that are going to help you more than they even help other people. And so trying to find what is it that I need to tend to my inner self. So I would encourage you to consider that. All right, well, let's talk about family. What are you saying yes to when you say yes to family? When you say yes to making family a priority? You know, if you have a family, you have a calling. And when it comes to family, I mean, you can be replaced in other areas more readily than that one. You can't be replaced. Other people can do some of the jobs, perhaps, but you can't be replaced as a dad. You can't be replaced as a mom. You can't be replaced as a child. You can't be replaced as a... You're, you're one of a kind. You can't be replaced. So what are we saying yes to? Oh, I mean, this one, I could spend months on this. The family, you talk about a great design that God had. The family is a brilliant design for this world. You build stuff in. You build in this support network. You build in this nurture network. You build all this in. And beyond that, marriage, as God designed it, it provides supernatural insight into the great mysteries of the Trinity into the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. In marriage, there's meant to be unparalleled oneness, unparalleled faithfulness. Marriage is meant to be this covenant where you're going to be there, you're committed to be there, richer for poor, sickness and in health, till death do you part. Marriage is the best context for bringing in to the world kids. And consider how amazing this is. You bring in to the world eternal beings who bear your image as parents, and they also bear the image of God. How crazy is that? Family builds all these things right in. Family provides a built-in care network so that, that no one's alone, especially when you need them the most. That's what you're saying yes to. You're saying, God, I, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. Do you see why faith and family are worth more than their leftovers? They're so important. All right, well, let's, let's turn a corner. Let's talk application. Here are three questions that could literally change your life. I don't say that lightly. A deep drill into these three questions could literally change your life. Question number one, when did you last sync your calendar with God's priorities? When did you last say, wait a minute, I'm doing all of these things. I'm filling 24 hours Am I filling them with the right things? When was the last time you just even hit pause and just say, okay, all this stuff I'm doing, is this the stuff I should be doing? 
Now, it's not uncommon for us to applaud the example of Bible characters and then apply a different standard to our own lives. We look at a man like Daniel. He was so serious about his daily prayer time, he got a death sentence for it. And he's like, I I will not compromise this, no matter what. All right, so we applaud, most of us, those who are believers, we applaud that kind of commitment. But then we say, maybe not consciously, probably not consciously, we say, ah, Daniel, way to go, making that a commitment. Prayer's got to be a commitment. But then we get to our calendars, right? We say, ah, well, I would, but, I would, but. And we start to make excuses. Here's how one pastor, I love this guy, Andy Stanley, um, here's how one pastor called out his congregation because when he saw people making a lot of excuses, he said this, he goes, okay, you don't have time to pray? Maybe you're right. Maybe your circumstances are too difficult for God. Maybe you should get a special permission slip. After all, Daniel's life was on the line and what's at stake for you is far more critical than that. Kids, we call that sarcasm, in case you're wondering. The same pastor then, this Andy Stanley, he went on to, to say the excuse makers, he said they're not just excuse makers, they're often fortune tellers. Because what will happen is if he presses them a little further and said, wow, it sounds like an, strong, but, but still an excuse, he says they turn into fortune tellers and they start to tell him all the things, all the things that will happen if, if they don't keep work at the same level it is how their finances are just going to tank, how their futures will just be torpedoed, how all of their plans and dreams as a family just won't come true. And then he says, you know, let me tell you what I think is going to happen. Let me do some fortune, future telling, right? It doesn't matter if you save up money in the bank. You're going to spend it all in therapy and in, you know, in, 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 with attorneys deciding who gets what when things don't work out. Interesting. When Daniel trusted God, I mean, it'll be fun. Someday we got to do just um, straight-up teaching into the book of Daniel. It's such a powerful, powerful book. When, when Daniel trusted God, God showed up. And God won't always show up in the ways that, that, that we hope he'll show up, but he'll show up. He'll make sure that no, nothing is wasted. Imagine what God could do if we tried as best we could to discern and say, God, would you help us to sync our calendars? with your calendar. Imagine what might happen in the life of a student athlete. A student athlete who, who, who goes to God and, and prays because they're uncomfortable. They're saying, man, every Wednesday I've got games. Every Sunday I've got tournaments. And what if that student athlete in that important vocation of, of use, doing their best in sports, what if they prayed and said, God, what would you have me to do with this? Nothing or something? And what if that student athlete then went to their coach in a spirit of humility and had a conversation. What might God do with that? Whether or not the results are what they hoped for, what might God do with that witness? What might God do with that example? What might God do in the life of a husband or, and a father who passes up a promotion that could mean a lot more money but also a lot more time? What might God do in that family? How might God bless that family in ways that you know, money could never repay? I, we're going to be doing a series on uh, technology later this summer. One of the things is I've been reading ahead a little bit, I, I, some of the stats, Google's own stats, we check our smartphones 125 times a day. What might happen if we made a priority to say at least three times a day, and I'm going to schedule this, at least three times a day on my calendar, I pray. 
I read my Bible. I just pause to invite God into my day. What might happen if we put even three times a day on our schedules a time where we consciously put our full focus on God? What if we took our calendars and said, God, you give me 168 hours this week. They're all yours. What should I start with? What should I put on there first? How would you like me to invest them? And that brings us to question two. Here's a second question. What are you working around? When it comes to your calendar, what do you work around? What is the given? What is the, this of course I'm going to do, and the rest we're going to figure out? What, what is that for you? Or what are those couple things for you in, in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year? What are those things that you just lock in and you say as, as best, you know, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to lock this in. What do you work around? Again, remember your calendar is one of the most accurate idle detectors there is. What gets on there first? What gets on there first? Now, here's one of the things that I'm going to say probably different than I would have said even 10 years ago. You know, I would have gone the real simple, simplistic pastor thing, and I would have said, well, you put faith and family on there first, right? It's not always that simple. Because at that, when I was saying those things, I was undervaluing work. It was so good for me to actually dig into the scriptures and go, these are all important things, you know? So it's the perfect, the perfect balance in the Christian life isn't 50% devotions, 50% family time, right? That's not the, that's not the perfect Next work is an important part of what we do. So, so what do we do? How, how do we do this? Now, there was a day when a, when a rhythm, when a more God-honoring rhythm was just a part of our culture. You know, it was a long, long, long time ago. But there was a day where things were just built right in. Christians just gathered. It was a given. Christians just gathered on Sundays to celebrate the resurrection. It just was part of it. And then their lives were more... Fo- together. They were regularly meeting together. So it was just built into our lives where we're going to be checking in on our faith. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. This stuff was just built right in. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be connecting. It was just built into our rhythm. We didn't have to lock in small group night because you were getting together regularly. It was just part of the fabric of how things worked when it came to your faith. And even when I was a kid, I mean, it was a long time ago, but but even 30 years ago, I remember when, when our, our school system wouldn't schedule conflicts on Wednesday nights. I remember a time when there were hardly any tournaments on Sunday mornings. I remember that, that, that day. Of course, I was out state, you know, Hastings, but still. There was a time where that was more a part of our, our rhythm. That's harder now. That's not a part of our rhythm anymore. Not a part of a rhythm. You know, when it comes to family, let's think about this too. There was a time where work and family, they weren't as separate as they are today. When you were a boy way back in the day, the time that these, the Bible letters were being written, if you were a boy, who did you go to work with? Your dad. Either in the fields or you were an apprentice in his shop. For the most part, that's what you did. You worked with dad. If you were a girl, who did you work with? Mom, right? For the most part, right? And other women in, 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 the, in the village, in the community. So family and work weren't these things that pulled us apart. They were things that we actually did together. There was a time when these rhythms were just connected. 
And, and the light bulbs came on. Um, almost every day in the ECC office is bring your kid to work day right now. You know, we, there's times where literally the infants outnumber the adults at some times. And I, and I was like, okay, this is so messy, but why does it feel so right? It feels so right because you've got these generations just doing life together doing life together, intergenerational time together in an overtly Christian work environment. So again, all this to say, there was a day where your calendar just kind of synced up more naturally with these important values. In this day and age, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to put it on the calendar. You've got to put it on the calendar or it won't happen. It won't happen. That's certainly true with faith. And it's also certainly true for family. One of the things I heard someone say recently is hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. You can't just hope that someday you'll have more time, right, for faith or family. When are your family nights? When are your family vacations? When are you blocking off time for each other? I was having a conversation with Katie. I want to have Katie come up here for a second. Katie Solom. I was having a conversation with her about family. And, uh, and kids, and she was telling me all kinds of great stories, but I asked if she could share one of the stories with you about making family a priority. Right. Um, <clears throat> I teach parenting classes, and um, I was teaching a class about a year ago, and there was a guy that kind of caught my eye because he looked so irritated and bored with me. And he was way in the back of the room. Class was six weeks long, and he'd come buzzing in at the last minute, and he had in his power suit and he had his Bluetooth on, and he would look just bored. He didn't want to be there, and his wife would be doing this every now and then in the ribs. <clears throat> and he'd be checking his phone, and he'd be the last <clears throat> first person to leave at the end of class. And there was one week where um, I talked about a concept called lap time. And that's where parents make a big show out of shutting off the phone, not just silencing it, but shutting it off, taking the phone off the hook if you're old school, turning off the TV, shutting down the computer, and being with that kid. Three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, each kid gets their own time. Little bitty kids, it's just time being silly, uh, having them sit on your lap, looking outside at the clouds. As they get a little bit older, it's doing different things. What it's not is problem solving, talking about potty training, talking about creepy boyfriend, talking about grades. It is the same idea as when you were falling in love and you just wanted to be with that person. You didn't have to be doing anything. You just wanted to be with them. And what that is, is tending the soil of that kid's soul. And it's building a foundation so that when you have to do the hard work, of letting them push away, which comes, there's a foundation that says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm loved, that I'm valued, and that I didn't just get squeezed in. Little bitty kids can tell when we're squeezing them in. I worked in the Moundsview School District for 20 years, and so I've heard lots and lots of things. One of the saddest things I ever heard is one little kid um, was talking to me having a lot of behavior problems in school. And she said, you know, sometimes when my mom, she's talking to me and she's got her phone down here and she's looking at me with her eyes, but then her phone goes off and then her eyes go up. And then I know she's not listening to me anymore. 
And this was a little one. This was a first grader, so kids know that. So anyway, this dad is looking especially irritated with this concept. And I can almost read his mind like, really? I'm too busy for this. I am way too important for this. This, this is not going to work in my family. So off he went. And, you know, God bless him. He came back for six weeks. His wife might have had something lodged against his back to make that happen. But he came back, and week six, we're done. And now there's a long line of people with questions or comments that they want to make. And I see this guy standing in the back of the line looking grumpier than usual. And I thought, I might be getting it with both barrels tonight. Now I'm going to get his opinion on how awful this was, what a waste of time this was. So he's coming closer and closer. He's at the very, very back. People are leaving now. The janitors are starting to close things down. And he's looking more and more upset. And I'm starting to feel a little nervous about what might happen when he gets here. And I'm just praying that other people aren't going to leave me alone with this guy. So he finally is the next guy coming up. And I see tears in his eyes. And I'm thinking, oh, please, God, don't let those be tears of rage. Or I'm in so much trouble here. So he finally gets up here, and I'm like, what can I do to help you? And I'm ready to duck. And he says, you know that lap time that you talked about? And I said, yeah. And he starts crying. And he says, I did it. And I said, you, you did lap time? And he said, I did lap time. And he said, before lap time? I couldn't have told you what color my kids' eyes were. He said, I have four kids, and I couldn't have told you what color their eyes were because I left early in the morning. I stayed at work late because at work I was the boss. I was in charge. I told people what to do. I was on top of my game. I knew how to order people around. Everything I did was applauded. People noticed me. People patted my back. When I got home, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get my kids to behave or mind, so I yelled, I reminded, I spanked, I slapped, and then I went to bed and felt terrible about myself. I just didn't have the tools to be the parent that I wanted to be, so I stayed away. And then I started doing lap time. And he said, now I drive up in the driveway, and instead of having my kids scatter, I look in the window and they're waiting for me. They're watching for me, and they're fighting over who gets lap time first, who gets lap time second. So God bless him that he did it, that he tried it. But think about the outcome if he hadn't. If he'd stayed on that path, he would not be a man in his 60s, 70s, and 80s whose kids were coming back home to see him because they wanted to be with him. Time, to me, this is just my opinion, is the most precious thing that we get to redeem. And it only goes in one direction. It doesn't back up. It doesn't stop. It doesn't slow down. And the job of parenting is critical for you now, and it's critical for you in an old age. The little duck sitting with you now will be picking out the nice home that you're going to be in. <laughs> so take it very seriously. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And I would encourage you, too, to have conversations with Katie. She's here almost every Sunday. She would love to talk to you about parenting and, and all of those things. Is lap time just going to happen? You know, are you just going to have, oh, look, I got nothing to do tonight. Nothing I could possibly do that's going to... It's about making a priority and, and scheduling these things. In our culture, there will always be time conflicts. And that brings us to the last question here. 
who do you turn to for help? Because there will be time conflicts. You will have these decisions of, I don't know how to make this. Am I working too much or am I not? Okay, if I say no to this project, I'm going to possibly get fired. You know, a transition would be really, really hard. All those questions, who do you turn to when the answer is not obvious? We're not able to just say, I'm going to cut back a little at work. You know, what, what do you do? Who do you turn to? You know, who, who do you talk to? I mean, I, as a church, this is one of the reasons we exist, right? This is why we schedule every year, we schedule discussions about the family. Every year, we, dis, we, we do some sort of teaching on, on faith, on how, how do you hear God's voice, how do you read your Bible. We try to schedule that, put this on the calendar, you know, we recommend resources like the ones in, in, in your notes. The other one that's in there is the Andy Stanley's book, Choosing to Cheat, one of my favorite books on what to do when, when work and family collide. We'll recommend resources. We'll pray for you. Every week we have people that will pray for you um, right after the service. You can fill out prayer requests on your cards. But the most important thing we can do as a church is to get you talking and in community with each other. That's the biggest thing. Quite frankly... For me to pray for you, that's plan B or C. Plan A is for you to have a group of people in your life who know you really well. Who you're speaking into their life, they're speaking into yours. People who can pray for you by name and by need. People who you're regularly in doing life with. People who are walking through. With, they remember the day when you got that job. And they watched it progress. They know your family. And you can have discussions about things. And you've got other people that can speak in and give perspective and wisdom and insight. That's plan A. Because the questions are really hard. When should you begin to transition out of a job? Because it simply is not going to work. That's a hard question. And how do you do that transition well? Are there times where you should just get a job? Quit swinging for the home run. Get some income coming because that work is very important. That's caring for your family. When, when do you have people who you've got enough of a relationship with who can say, you know what you need to do? You need to just go find a job right now. Do you have that kind of relationship with people? When it gets to these hard questions, when there's the seasonal stuff, okay, I'm a teacher. I've got conferences coming up. You know, it's tax season. You know, having people that can come around you and say, okay, when that season is done, what are you going to do, you know? Or you've been in that season now for five years, right? Do you have those people that will speak to you? When you are in those relationships, you're doing God's work because that's one of the ways he cares for us is through those relationships. Last passage from Thessalonians I want to look at today is this one. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Here, here, isn't this our goal? May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. Aren't our bodies now the temples of the Holy Spirit? Aren't we supposed to be in Christ? Isn't his body now in our bodies? Doesn't God work through us? This peace that we're looking, this centeredness we're looking for, isn't it established as we do good works through his power under his guidance?
Well, let's commit ourselves to that end. One of the things that we prioritize as best we can here at our church is the sacrament of Holy Communion. We, we try to make that a, 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 a something that we put on our calendars so that we'll remember we have at least once a month this orientation, this compass reset where we say, God, I want to bring everything to you. Show me the areas where I've been going the wrong way. Today I want to come back and I want to get back 100% as best I can with your way. If you're not familiar with the Sacrament of Holy Communion, here is the event that we're about to commemorate. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we don't just commemorate an event. We also celebrate good news. And here it is. This is where it's encapsulated in First John. It says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This repentance piece is very real. We come to him and we say, God, I'm sorry. And instead of, again, the hand slap, there's a good to have you back. Good to have you back. Let's go. Let's go down this path. And that's what God wants for us. So what we do together is we, we pray prayers together. We invite you to join us in those prayers. And then at the conclusion of the prayers, uh, the communion servers are going to come up, and they're just going to get into place. One team on that side, one team on that side. And there won't be any ushers if you're new here today. There won't be any ushers because we want it to be a deliberate uh, decision on your part to say, I'm not coming forward because an usher is telling me to come forward. I'm coming forward because I would love to receive from God today. All right? And we'll sing some songs and then we'll, we'll conclude together. So let's, uh, let's consecrate this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open, and all desires are known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Let me just pray and consecrate this time. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that we are the work of your hands. You knit us together somehow, miraculously, wondrously, even in our mother's wombs. Lord, these elements that we bring um, here today, the, these, these are the work of people's hands. But you take something that, that we do and, and you make something beautiful and holy out of it. So we pray that that'll happen. Consecrate these elements. Make them for us, your body and blood. Consecrate our lives. Make them holy and righteous. Father, bring to our mind now individually the things that, um, that you would have us to think of, the things that we haven't done that you would have us to do, the things that we are doing that you'd have us to stop, the things that you would have us put on our calendars, the things you'd have us to take off. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill this place and speak to us now as individuals.
And as a group, one more time, Father, we, we do come together and we pray a prayer that you taught us to pray. And that is this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you responded to God's invitation today, I can declare to you, not just to make you feel good, but on the authority of Scripture, that your sins are forgiven. That you have a shot at a fresh start. That you can walk out of here and your past can be your past and you can start fresh today and God will be in it and he'll bless it. Jesus himself told a, a story. He said, you know, or gave an example. He said, a wise person is going to build their, their, their house on rock. If they hear these words and, and, and put them into practice, you're doing the same thing. If you hear them and put them into practice. This wasn't one of those lessons where you showed up and you're like, wow, I never thought of that before. I should prioritize my family and my faith. Really? Wow. But hopefully it was one of those reminders. You know, think what life would be like if we reorientated our compass and, and put into practice these things that we know to be true. So I've got homework to do after this one. My, uh, my family's at camp and we need to have this conversation, right? And I'd imagine maybe you need to have this conversation too. Schedule a time, get together, go through those questions as an individual or as a family. Put them into practice. You'll be building on a rock. After today's service, again, if you'd like prayer, there'd be people that would love to pray with you. Kids, if you want to come up afterwards and try out the uh, little idol detector, you can get a little prize. Let me pray as we go our separate ways. God, thank you. Thank you that you're a God of fresh starts and second chances. And thank you, God, that you're going to use all things, even our mistakes for your glory if, if, if we'll allow you to, to come and, and to work in and through us. And so, God, we, we dedicate ourselves to that end. We pray that you'll help us to be wise and to now not just hear these words but to put them into practice. Holy Spirit, stay on us until we do that. And bless us as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.